Hello, hello, baby. We are back. It's a drug rug episode. Those are always the best. I feel like I've worn this. This is episode 12. This is episode 12. And I feel like this is my... I've definitely worn it once before. Because I remember talking about it and how awesome it is. And how it's like my favorite article of clothing. But I feel like... This might even be the third time. I don't know. I'd have, to, I'd have to go check the tape. I'd have to go back and check the tape. But regardless, it's a drug rug episode. So you know it's going to be absolute heat. Uh, thank you for listening. This is The Bentley Show. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Uh, not an incredibly eventful last couple of days. That being said, uh, because I'm only 12 episodes in, I have a total grab bag of just like stuff that... I've never said on air before, just like opinions or topics and stuff that, that are like evergreen kind of stuff. So, uh, I will never run out of stuff to talk about. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about the entire AL Central outlook. That's going to be the whole Tigers section is just, uh, n- not necessarily just our off season compared to the rest of the divisions, but just in general, the s- spring training games are about to start here in a couple of days, which I cannot wait for. Finally have some, some gameplay to talk about with baseball. Um, but also just, uh, the entire AL central who got better, who got worse and where obviously we fall into that, um, that, uh, that, that division and that, that ranking. And, and if we have a chance at anything besides last place, the Detroit Pistons, one uh, last night against the Orlando Magic. We're going to talk about that. And, and Saban Lee stays being Saban Lee. Then the Wings drop a game to the Panthers, get shut out. Uh, I am also uh, starting now, by the time you're listening to this, I am also a uh, co host now on Locked On Red Wings with Nolan Bianchi. So. Uh, check out that podcast. We go in depth. It's just Red Wings. We go really in depth on on the on the games and the post game uh, that we did last night after the game and such. So I'm I'm still going to talk about the Wings and everything. Nothing's going to change on that front. However, if you want even more in depth uh, look at the Wings specifically, I'm a co-host over there too, and that's that's an awesome group of people and an awesome podcast. And then the Lions. Uh, Spielman made some comments. We're going to talk about those. He made some comments about uh, what it's going to take to build a winner, as well as our standing owner, Sheila Ford Hamp. So, again, thank you so much for listening. This is The Bentley Show. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Let's get into it. The Detroit Tigers. Uh, we talked about Pakoda rankings a couple of episodes ago. By pretty much any ranking you go by, whether it's Pakoda or not, uh, they have the Tigers projected to finish in last place in the AL Central. Um, that's because, Phew! man, I don't think I've ever sneezed on air before. That's history right there, everyone. Um, that's because we are going to finish fifth in the AL Central. And no, we don't have a chance of of really anything more than that I'd say like I I would genuinely be shocked if we got fourth place even I'd be like holy hell we had an insanely overshot or, or, or overproductive year I would be stunned stunned 
if we got fourth place. Genuinely. Uh, so obviously anything more than fourth even, I, I consider to be pretty much impossible. Uh, there is there is no chance we finish in the top three in this division. Uh, and like I said, even fourth place to me seems completely out of reach and, and, and incredibly unlikely. Um, the reason why that is is because every other team in this division had a, well, three of the teams in this division had a better offseason than us. I don't know if Cleveland had a better offseason than us, but Cleveland's starting point is like 25 wins better than us. Uh, we were on pace to lose 95 last year. They were on pace to win 95 last year. So, that, I mean, that's, that's you know, that's 30 wins. Um, so, I, I, hmm. Um, cl- Okay, we'll just start at the top. I think Minnesota is going to win the division. Uh, they had a fine off season. They're a great regular season team. I still don't believe that their bullpen uh, and or back end of their starting rotation is really good enough to make them a playoff threat. And honestly, it's to the point now where they they haven't won a playoff game, not series, but game since like two thousand two. So like. Uh, every any time they make the playoffs at this point, it's it's so ridiculous that they keep getting swept in the, in the first round every year they make the playoffs. That like, it's honestly like like I'm just gonna assume you're gonna do it until you prove me wrong, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's pretty much impossible for me to just sit here and be like, well, no, yeah, I, I think they're bringing back pretty much the same team they've brought back the last three years with some small additions. Uh, yeah, like you're not, especially when odds are are pretty good that they're gonna run into the Yankees at some point, who are their daddies. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna be the one to be like, <laughs> oh yeah, this is the year. Like you're not gonna catch that here. Um, but as far as regular season team, they're fine. They're a good regular season team. They have a great offense. Um, I think that they'll be fine. They're going to win 90 mid 90 games. That, that that's a damn good team. I'm not trying to to slight them, but uh playoff baseball is just a whole different animal. And the Oakland A's prove every year that there's a huge difference between a roster built for the regular season and a roster built for the postseason. Um so we have that. We have them uh rather then at 2 I'm going to go with hmm, two and three are very close to me. I think Chicago and Cleveland are, are very close on this, uh, whatever ranking. Um, the over under I saw was, uh, or the over under actually, I'll use this. Uh, I'm a, I'm a writer for diamond digest. Go check them out. Follow them. Beautiful website, beautiful people, amazing group of, of, of men and women. Um, so I'll use their over-unders because I just did a podcast talking about over-unders, um, with the AL Central. So I'll just use theirs. The Cleveland's was, I believe, 83 and a half or 82 and a half, somewhere around there. And then I think Chicago's was 85 and a half. And I had an under on Chicago, but over on Cleveland. That being said, I, I think that those are pretty close to correct, even though I, you know, 
I would take those bets for those two. I feel pretty strongly about those. That being said, like, I, I can see both these teams winning like 83-ish games, and that's about where both uh, – that I would still be right with both of those. So um, I think I'm going to go with Cleveland barely, like by a game or two. Um, I think – that, that Cleveland's going to take two. I don't think... I'll also say this. I don't think anyone in this division is making the wild card game. Uh, this is uh, this is very much still a division that's so weak outside of the top. Really, all, all throughout. Um, this has been... Uh, this is, continues to be one of these divisions where the it's, it's the weakest division in the American League. So... The winner is not a World Series threat, and none of the other four teams are even going to make the wild card game. That that's how I feel. So uh, I'm going to say Cleveland, and the only reason I'm going to say Cleveland is because of pitching. Chicago is probably a better, well-rounded, all-around team than Cleveland because they have they have solid pitching and a solid lineup and a solid bullpen. Whereas Cleveland has honestly, uh, 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 to be completely buck. One of the worst lineups in all of baseball. That lineup is terrible. It's literally a J-Ram away from being like like Pirates and Rockies level of terrible. Like it's it's a really bad lineup. Um, that being said, on the flip side, their rotation is the best in the division, and it's not even close. It is not even particularly close. That that rotation is unreal. It's like six or seven deep. With, with quality starting arms that can give you a quality start any night. Um, they're going to be, if you're a casual baseball fan, they're going to be one of the most boring teams out there because they're going to, all their games are going to be like two to one and two nothing and one nothing and three to two. Like, there are, there, there are not going to be a lot of high scoring Cleveland baseball team games. Because their offense is bad and their pitching is good, they're not going to give up runs either. So, uh, I, I am going to just give them the benefit of the doubt and say that pitching is going to carry and I'll put them at around the, the two spot. Then I'll put Chicago right there with them. Again, like maybe a game less. Like I, I'm not trying to say that Chicago is going to be like an under 500 team. I understand that's a good team. But for me, Chicago is very much... With any team, in any sport, I'm very much a you-have-to-prove-it-to-me-until-I-can-predict-it kind of a thing. I'm not the kind of person that's going to uh, be like, oh, you lost you know, 95 games last year, but you just called up all your prospects, so I'm going to be the one to take a stand and say you're going to be good this year. Like that's You're never going to catch me being that person. Um, and I've been hearing about how it's Chicago's time to take over the division for like half a decade now with all the trades and, and shit that they've done and, and all the prospects they've acquired and at one point having the best farm system in baseball um, and still having a great farm system and great young talent. And I do think that they will be good. And it, it could I could look like an idiot. It could even be this year. I'm just not the kind of person that's going to be ahead of the curve on that because baseball is so hard to predict. Um, I really just think that, again, if they go out and win 95 games this year, for the next five years, I'm going to pick them to, to win 95 and win the division because I understand they have talent. And if they do win 90-plus games, it's not going to be because of a fluke. 
I very I, I respect the hell out of that roster. But I've just become worn down over all the, this is the year Chicago takes over the American League. This is the year they take over the division. This is the year, this is the year, this is the year. For like three or four years in a row now because of all the young talent they have. And it, it just has yet to come to even, uh, to be honest, really even close to fruition. Um, so this could be the year that it finally does. I'm not saying that that's impossible. I'm not saying it's even unlikely. It might even be a likely scenario. But as far as picking like where I think you're gonna finish and how many your win total, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the person that comes on here and is is Mr. Optimistic. You you gotta prove it to me once, and then once I see you put it together for one year, then I'll have faith in you going forward. So I'm I'm not a I'm not a hot take factory when it comes to that regard. Then at four, and I think this is like the most maybe the most guaranteed one in the entire division, to be honest with you. Well, actually, I think the Tigers being fifth is probably the most guaranteed. I think the Royals are are comfortably four. They are significantly better than the Tigers and significantly worse than the three teams ahead of them. I think they are, you know, if, if, you, could, if you could Vegas bet on Kansas City getting fourth place, if that was for some reason a thing, that would be a, my lock. I think that is a it is as close to a guarantee as you can get that they are going to finish fourth place. Um, and I will say that there's a there's a chance they can climb up into third. They're not going to be in the top two, and they're not going to be at the bottom. I I guess they also they, that team has a lot of variants. That team could be a 65 win team. Or an 85-win team. And honestly, I wouldn't be too shocked either way. They have a really good lineup. And, and it's kind of just like taking bubble gum out of your mouth and, and plugging a, a hole on the water line with it. You know, it's kind of patchwork. But top to bottom, if all those people stay healthy, it's actually a pretty respectable lineup. Um, and they're pitching they like, like us. They have a lot of young arms coming up through that system and, and in that rotation now. So Kansas City could quietly become uh, a threat here in the next couple of years. Um, but for now, and, and they did get a lot better than last year, and I, I respect what they did this offseason. And I think uh, if anybody in this division, like I said, the most variance, they, they could be terrible or be pretty good and over 500, and I wouldn't be too shocked either way. That being said, there's no way they finish below the Tigers, and there's no way they finish above third place. I, I would say they're pretty solidified fourth place candidates this year with a small chance at, at maybe climbing up to third if Cleveland, um, if their offense, if Cleveland's offense is so bad that it can't even keep its head above water and compensate for the great pitching, then you maybe could see Kansas City climb up there, but this isn't like a wild card or a division title threat. This is still very much a, a team on its way up and sign a couple of pe people uh, to two-year deals too so they could make a run at it next year as well. It's on the come up for sure, pulling themselves out of the gutter of a rebuild. But as far as this year, no. Then we have your Detroit Baseball Tigers in fifth. Um, so that's, that's, my, that's my AL Central. Twins. Cleveland, Sox, Royals, Tigs. Uh, the Tigers are still comfortably the worst team in this division. And if they they were honestly they were before Kansas City had the offseason they did, and then Kansas City went out and had 
on a, a phenomenal, honestly, an, an A plus off season. And now it's it's all but certain that they are they are hands down the worst team in this division. Still, it's not particularly close. Uh, if we lose less than a hundred games, that would be considered. Uh, I wouldn't say a surprise. It's, you know, we're, this isn't the 2019 team anymore. We've taken a lot of a lot of strides since then. But if we lose less than a hundred games, uh, that would be impressive I guess is the word I'll, I'll call it because I don't want to call it a victory either because I don't really think any win and loss total this year could be considered a victory or a loss like we're still bad so like I you know winning 95 game or losing 95 games rather than 105 games isn't going to change my opinion of the future you know what I mean this is a very much an individual performance kind of year um so we're still last we our rotation is still patchwork slash rookies. So that's, I mean, yeah, it's all one year signees, people that have been just flat out bad, like Matt Boyd or rookies. Um, let's approve a year for a lot of people. This lineup again is, is way better than it was in 2019. And honestly, probably better than it was last year, but, um, it's still a, a pretty far ways away from being even an average lineup. Nonetheless, a good lineup. This lineup still blows. Um, and then the bullpen is... Well, last year the bullpen was actually surprisingly okay. Um, I think we have some decent bullpen pieces in Buck and Soto... Uh, Brian Garcia, I don't believe that Brian Gar I think Brian Garcia was a fluke year. All of his advanced analytics really point to him not being able to sustain what he did. That being said, he did what he did. So, you know, we have, we have Brian Garcia, Gregory Soto, Buck Farmer, Daniel Norris was okay out of the pen. Tyler Alexander was okay out of the pen. There, there's a foundation there to grow and, and possibly have a decent bullpen at one point. Um, but Again, I'll reiterate, this team is still a very long ways away from being in the upper echelon of this division or in any division or in the American League or in baseball. We're still going to have a top five pick, and it's not going to be a pretty year. So that is my AL Central rundown. Twins, Cleveland, Sox, Royals, and Tigers. Um, okay. I think that's it. Is that it for the Tigers? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, that's it for the Tigs. All right. The Detroit basketball Pistons with a big dub against the Orlando Magic last night. Um, fun, fun game. A lot of people did really well. Uh, and the, the biggest story of the night is Saban Lee, but we'll save him for last. Um, big night, Sadiq Bay, 10, eight and three didn't shoot incredible, but didn't shoot horrible. Jeremy Grant, 17, seven and six, six of 15 shooting. He has not really shot super well. The last uh, four or five games, Plumlee was seven, 12 and four Svee with nine, three and three Dennis Smith jr. Had a nice game, 14, three and one and shot really well. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. made two threes, which is the, honestly, if Saban Lee didn't do what he did, would have been the story of the night. 
Um, so that's that's awesome. If he can figure out how to shoot, man, we're we're cooking with something. We we got we got a little something something working in the backboard with backcourt with him, Saban, Killian. Um, yeah. Dennis Smith Jr. looks solid. He, he looks solid on the defensive end too. Had a couple of blocks and a steal. Look nice. Look nice. Josh Jackson did not shoot very well, but when he attacks the basket, is phenomenal. When he drives and attacks the rim, he is a great basketball player. When he shoots, it's hit and miss. Literally. It is, it is very hit and miss. Sometimes he has good nights and he's feeling himself. Sometimes he doesn't. This game, he shot poorly, realized it, and then started attacking and, and saved himself and had a pretty damn nice game. 18-7. and seven. Uh, And then Isaiah Stewart was fine. Uh, Sekou didn't shoot well, which is nothing new. Frank Jackson played. He was not great. Okay. The story of the night is Saban Lee. Ever since... Saban Lee has had to have a uh, an increased amount of minutes due to injuries and such, which has only been three games, I want to say. He's been lights out, man. He's been lights out. This is looking like a damn good second-round pick. A damn good second-round pick. He's raw. He's still very clearly very raw. Um, but look, man, he's a second-round pick. That's been in the NBA for about five weeks. He had 30 minutes, 21, 3, and 4 on 8 of 11 shooting and 3 and 3, 3 and 3, 4, 3, geez, from deep. Two steals, three turnovers. That That's nutty. And, and here's the thing, too. Like, the defense isn't there yet, but he's so athletic. Like being that much of just a pure athlete often translates and it is coachable to turn into a, a solid defender, right? He he could be something, man. He really could. Like this is this is quickly turning into like a really exciting story. Second round pick, like I said, Uber athlete. Uber athlete will jump out of the gym has tried to poster someone in like every game and he's missed like three of them. I can't wait for that day. Can't wait for the day that he just puts somebody on blast. Oh man. He he gets me excited. He gets me giddy, man. That that kid is is absolutely um he is it's a good problem to have depth. And surprisingly, coming into the year, we didn't think we had guard depth. And now, kind of between DeLon Wright doing well, Saban Lee doing well, trading for Dennis Smith Jr., and then when Killian comes back, we will low-key kind of be, I don't want to say log jam, because none of them are like like stars, and, and so you'll be able to spread it. But like, we will, we will have a, a very deep point guard position when Killian comes back, low-key. So, um it's a good problem to have. Competition, in-team competition is good. It's good. It drives people. It's good. It's healthy. So, Saban Lee. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, a lot of people, aside from that, the, the game as a whole, um, we looked we looked damn good, man. Like, this is a 
we did not shoot very well from deep, but we kind of bullied them inside, which is great. Go, which is not what I expected. The Orlando has a pretty good paint situation going on, a pretty good big man situation going on. But for whatever reason, we, we were struggling from deep outside of like two people and everybody else kind of had to cut and dominate inside. And that's what we did and won by, you know, 12 points. So uh, that was solid. The defense, I think, looked a lot better than it has in a lot of games, pretty much most games. I think we actually played a pretty good defense. Um, like I said, Saban Lee had a couple of nice steals. Isaiah Stewart's Isaiah Stewart. Plumlee has low-key become a pretty solid anchor down low, which at some points this year he is definitely not or has not looked like that, I should say. So um, I guess that's a that's a plus. He, he was definitely an, an interior force this game. He had three or four blocks. So, uh, you know, this is just one of those games where everything clicks. And we made adjustments. The, the three ball wasn't really falling as a team. We needed to make an adjustment. We decided to just pound him inside. That's what we did, and and, and we won by double digits. So uh, this is not a, a game that that we're gonna look back on and be like, damn, like this is where we noticed, like we put the league on notice, kind of thing. But at the same time, it's it's a game as a team that they can look back and film and be like, damn, like we were really kind of not with it, made adjustments. And, and had a really nice win on our hands. So um, that that second half was really all Detroit. And that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Casey, I think, deserves he, – he's gotten a lot of heat this year for a multitude of reasons. I think he gets – he deserves a lot of credit for this win in particular. I think that it's a, in a large part due to him. And I, I think the adjustments that he made are is the, is the reason. They are the reason that, that we got the win. So the only other thing with the Pistons, um, there's some people on the timeline saying that, like that are freaking out that we won last night, and pretty much there, there's a group of Pistons Twitter that any time we win a basketball game, they freak out. Anytime, doesn't matter if it's against the Lakers or against like the Minnesota Timberwolves. If you this there's just a portion of this fan base no matter who you be that they, they just freak out um we are 9 and 22 uh which is the second worst record in the entire NBA and the only team worse than us is the Minnesota Timberwolves who are 7 and 25 okay the teams ahead of us in the east you know what no we're going to start with Minnesota and talk about just – we're going to talk about us. Screw this, okay? No, look, this this is stupid. It doesn't matter whether you want us to lose or don't want us to lose. We are going to lose a lot of effing games. This team is still bad. We are not ruining our tank by winning once every two weeks, bro. Okay? Cool it. We are 9-22. and 22. Nine and twenty-two. We're not ruining anything by winning one game a month. I promise. We're gonna have top three odds. I promise. This team blows. 
There are individual performances we can look at and take stuff from. As a whole, this team is still bad. Flat out, cut and dry, not a very good basketball team. Okay? So, the only team worse than us is Minnesota, and they have a significantly better roster than we do. And we're only two games better than them. I'd venture that the odds of us getting the highest odds to land number one in the draft are greater than us moving out of the top three. Because Minnesota is surely not going to be worst team in the NBA bad for the remainder of the season. I can't, I can't, look, they're clearly not making the playoffs, okay? This was clearly a lost year. That being said, they still have enough talent. They still have enough talent to where there is, you will find, uh, uh, mm. I don't see a scenario to where they have, they finish the season with less wins than the Pistons. We're not even halfway through the year yet. I'm still very confident that they will go on a little streak here. And then we will hold the crown. Now, with with two weeks left in the year, if we have the worst record in the league by a game, and you're like, oh, we should be losing, that's a different conversation. Our ninth win of the season, 31 games in, when we have the second worst record in the league, and pretty damn good odds at, at, at very soon, very quickly getting the, the worst record in the league. That is not something to complain about. I promise we are not ruining any tank. I promise. It's still fully on board, fully on track. Everything's fine. Again, I promise. Okay? We're all good. Everyone's going to stop complaining any anytime we win a game. Okay, awesome. Let's move on to the wings. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, I am now a co-host at Locked On Red Wings. Uh, that's what it's called. You can just look up Locked On Red Wings, and you will see it's a daily podcast that I'm going to start doing with uh, Nolan Bianchi, who's a great guy. And uh, yeah, so... If you want more in-depth Red Wings, a whole podcast, whole thing, three segments long, just about the Red Wings instead of all these other teams and kind of quick 15-minute runovers of everything, you can go there and you will see full, all Red Wings coverage. Anything, it, it will satisfy you. If you are a big Red Wings guy, there's no way that podcast does not satisfy you. So I'm going to start with that, okay? But let's get into this game. Last night, the Rings lost to the Nashville Predators, two to nothing. Uh man. Uh, this game was just. I don't ever find sports boring. Like I, I don't really watch TV shows or movies because I just always watch sports. That's it's been like that my whole life. When I was in elementary school. And kids would come over and want to watch like kids' cartoons and stuff, and I'd be watching Sports Center at like nine. You know what I mean? Like I never find sports boring ever. The first two periods of this game 
are about as close as you're going to get to me admitting that a sport was boring. Nothing happened. The only thing that happened was a goal got called back, which is a little exciting. Kind of tickles the pickle a little bit. You know what I mean? That That's kind of electric because you're like, oh, is it going to stand? Is it not? Blah, blah, blah. And then it did get taken back, so it kept it a tie game. But, like, that's it. And the third period saved it. A couple of goals scored, a big hit, some some chirping. That saved it a little bit. But for the first two periods of this game, wow. It was the furthest thing from exciting that you can get without something being boring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of just... Dump and ch- failed dump and chase, failed dump and chase, failed dump and chase on the wings end. Uh, we cannot get pucks deep. We can't. We are unable to get pucks deep. So, um, yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. And and I went into it being like, hey, like you know, twenty four shots on net isn't isn't horrible. And then when I did the post game recap with Nolan, he kind of pointed out he's like. Yeah, but uh, a shot on net isn't necessarily a great goal scoring opportunity. We have better stats now. We have goal. Ch- we have we have better stats that are are more analytically inclined and show like good goal scoring opportunities, good goal scoring shots, versus just flicking it up there and hoping for a rebound kind of thing, or just trying to get a shot on net. And Nashville dominated us in that, and they still even just shots on net. They outshot us by nine. You know, it's not like we were tied or anything. Um. They just bullied the living hell out of us for 60 minutes. That's pretty much it. There was one moment where Fabry um, lays. Uh, I forget who it was. Who did he lay out? He laid out somebody. Um, oh, it was Cousins. Lays out Cousins for, for Nashville. Dude gets up and is all like trying to start a fight. Uh, and then Heronic, he he sees Heronic there instead of Fabry and quickly decides that he no longer wants to fight, which was kind of a fun moment. That's pretty much where the fun started and stopped for this team. Um, yeah. Like, it, it's really hard to, to break this down immensely. Like, again, nothing, nothing happened for two periods. Uh, as far as the physicality goes, we really tried to play like bully ball, bully puck, whatever. We really tried. Um, however, we failed pretty miserably. It was not good. Um, this is a team that does not have the personnel to just go out there and beat the hell out of you and, and be the Broad Street bullies. Um, and we tried to do it. And I think that that not only cost us important penalties down in the stretch, but also just cost us like goal scoring opportunity. We literally, when I say we could not get a puck deep to save our lives, I literally mean we could not get past the faceoff circles. We could not get into the crease without we we just couldn't without anything. We we couldn't get that deep. We we all of our shots on net were were. A couple of one-timers, but a lot of slap shots. A lot of slap shots from from a step or two inside the blue line. It was not uh, 
it was not great, Bob. <laughs> it was not great. Uh, we we just got punished. We got out hit by like twofold. Um, they bullied the hell out of us, and we tried to return the favor. And I, I think that that strategy and that mindset, as much as I love it, and as much as I would love any of these teams in this city to take over that mindset, I think it cost us the game because we really played sloppy in the third, and we gave up two goals and. And you know what? I feel so bad for Bernier, man. That dude deserves so much better. <laughs> he deserves so much better than what he is getting, man. That that's just that's just tough. It's really tough when when you play on your head for 60 minutes. Damn near every night you take the ice. There's been a couple exceptions, but damn near every night you're playing on your head, and this defense is just so unbelievably terrible that it doesn't matter. Sad. Sad, sad. Sad, sad, sad. Sad, sad, pain, sadness, and more pain. Okay, individual performances. Um... <laughs> No one outside of Bernier. <laughs> I mean, like, gosh, bro. Like, the defense was okay for two periods, but there was no, like, standout one individual person, really. Uh, uh yeah, man. I, I'm really pressing to find anyone besides Bernier to give to give like a shout out here. Fabry was irrelevant outside the hit. Brome didn't really do a lot and only played 10 minutes. Glenn Denning didn't do a lot, only played 12 and didn't play like at all in the third, which kind of pissed me off. Darren Helm played on the first line tonight and actually looked okay. So I, I will give him a, 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 a shout out, I guess. Um, he looked okay on the first line, which is not something I'm expecting. But just out of principle, I don't want Darren Helm on my on my first line anymore. Zadina was okay, but kind of got hurt there and then kind of fizzled out. We finally got to see him at the end of the game, but he was on with like the third line. The, the coaching is so frustrating. Um, Mantha looked better with the second line tonight than he did with the first line. And Larkin was kind of just floating around out there. Larkin was kind of irrelevant. Uh, for the most part, you can tell. You can see the difference. Like, damn, the Larkin-Mantha line must be out there because we're actually getting pressure and stuff. Um, that was not really the case this game. You, all the lines kind of blended together. And we were doing actual line blending, which I'm sure didn't help. But, like, there, there was no, oh, you can tell the captain's out there kind of thing. You know what I mean? It was just kind of. I don't know. Everybody was just floating this game. No one was absolutely terrible, but no one was good. I mean, we got shut out by Pecorine in 2021. That's That takes a special kind of, of irrelevant. Pecorine is not good anymore. Hasn't been good all year. And yet, here we are. Beautiful. Wonderful. Um... 
The only other thing to talk about is the trade deadline is quickly approaching. Uh, there's been some rumors of um, some people that um, could be moved at the deadline. Glenn Denning is one, uh, leading the NHL in faceoff percentage. Could be a, a, a low buy, kind of nice second or third line uh Face-off guy, you know, contributor to a to a team trying to make a run, so that's fun. Uh, and then the other one is Bobby Ryan, who obviously Bobby Ryan is um, has had a great turnaround story on and off the ice. So hopefully, if we do move him, I wish him nothing but the best. He is awesome, awesome guy, and I really hope that uh, he goes somewhere and, and can contribute. Uh, be a nice little late back back line uh, uh, goal scorer there for a, a team trying to make a run as well. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. We'll go over those more in depth. Uh, I believe we're actually going more in depth on them unlocked on Red Wings as well. So you can check that out and see um, all of our opinion of breaking down everybody and potential trade partners and such. Uh, the other one is there has been some rumors that we might be able to flip Mark Stahl. I'll say this right now. If anyone offers anything for Mark Stahl, you take it immediately and don't ask questions. We took on Mark Stahl because he was a huge salary hit, and we got a pick out of it. We were like, hey, you can cripple us with this horrible salary if you give us a good draft pick. And the Rangers were like, yeah, no, bet. So if you, if I don't care if it's for nothing, literally we win the trade if it's for nothing because we get the salary off the books. If anyone offers you anything, half of a slice of pizza, an apple with a bite taken out of it. Clearly I'm hungry. I'm picking all food analogies. Anything. One shoe, not even both, just like your left foot. And it's like an old shoe. It's like it's like a shoe that that your dad cuts the lawn with. You know, like how when you were a kid and you were growing up and and your dad had like the lawn mowing shoes. I feel like that's a super like like dad thing. Like these are my lawn mowing shoes. And they were white in the eighties and now they look like they were sold green. You know what I mean? You know, everybody's got that pair. If someone sold you the left shoe of that, that would still be a win for the Red Wings. Nice, get, get a nice little family heirloom from somebody, and you don't have to pay Mark Stahl his contract, and you don't have to watch him on a nightly basis, which is kind of dope in its own right. Anyone offers you anything, you take it. Okay, it's not quite the same as Blake Griffin. Uh, I would never insult Blake Griffin like that and say that he is on the uh, in the same situation as, as 2021 Mark Stahl. But in the sense of if anyone takes this that whole contract on, it's kind of a win in its own right. You don't even really need anything in return. That's where it's kind of similar. So, uh, again, not comparing the two. I would never insult Blake Griffin like that. However, as far as this trade situation goes, uh, they're in pretty um, – Pretty similar situations there. All right. Oh, I want to do one more thing with the wings. Uh, because everyone's obsessed with 
us tanking, obviously, in every sport and making sure we get the number one pick. We have the – we are tied with the Ottawa Senators for the fewest amount of points in the NHL, so the tank is still very much on and well and breathing. We have 13. Ottawa has 13. Uh, Buffalo and New Jersey and Dallas all have 14. Anaheim has 15. And New York has 15. So those are kind of the bottom dwellers there. Uh, we are still, like I said, the tank is still very much in full effect, which is beautiful and never a bad thing, especially when you're just trying to look for some positives to hold on to for the love of everything. Jeez. Okay. That'll do it, I think, for the Detroit Red Wings. Let's move on to the Detroit Football Lions. Um, so somebody asked me, you know, what I'm going to talk about with the Lions being that it's kind of the dead point of the offseason. Free agency hasn't started. It's also not really draft season yet. Um, not a whole lot of stuff is happening within the organization. We have all of our coaching staff now. No more trades are going to happen. The only thing really that's coming up is franchise tags, and we've already talked about that on two different episodes and how it's only going to be Kenny, and it should only be Kenny. So I, I can't just keep talking about that every time. So I had somebody asked me, like, how do I um, manage that? How do, you know, three times a week, how do I come and talk about the Lions when they really haven't had any news break in, in the better part of a week? Um, I literally go onto Google. And I type Detroit Lions and then press the news tab. And I look at what other people in the community are talking about with the Lions. And that tends to lead me in the direction of what I'm going to talk about for the show. Um, so, that being said, the Detroit Lions, uh, Chris Spielman, uh, the Freep. This is the Freep. We're going to give them credit before we... we breakdown because that's where I found the this topic of conversation from uh the freep released a report earlier today uh just an interview with Chris Spielman just a lot of quotes a sit-down interview with him about the whole rebuild process and everything and and he said two things that we're going to talk about he said a lot but there's two things I want to talk about specifically one he talked about Sheila Ford Hamp's involvement. And two, he talked about, he used the phrase building, uh, building, what did he say? From the outside in is the exact quote. Building from the outside in and, and kind of what both of those things mean to the team and what building from the outside in implies. So we'll start with his opinions on Sheila. Um, Sheila Ford Hamp, obviously the owner of the Detroit Football Lions. Uh, she put together the committee that hired the general manager and head coach of our team, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. Um, she has been significantly more involved than, uh, I don't want to say that her mother ever, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to say that her mother ever was because when her mother was younger she was she was involved a decent amount that being said uh 
like the last time her mom was like super involved was probably Bob Quinn's first season, right? Like sitting in the draft room there, and we saw that reaction. Um, who did they take that year? Was that the Ebron year? Regardless, Quinn's first year was really the last time we kind of saw her have like hands-on, semi-hands-on involvement. Uh, so this is, I guess, in a sense, a little refreshing. Like at least it's, you know, at least ownership cares. Like she, my my one gripe with, with Chris Illich and God bless Mike Illich's soul because he never did this. My one gripe, well, okay, not my one. I have a ton. I could do a whole hour on all my gripes with Chris Illich. One of my biggest gripes, I'll say, with Chris Illich is that he is never in front of a camera talking to the media. Ever. He just isn't. It's not, I don't know whether it's not his thing, or but, it, but to the fan base, it shows, especially with how involved Mike was, how involved your father was with the Wings and the Tigers, it's really different to us and not in a positive way to just be like, oh, this owner is just never in front of everybody, anybody and never talks to anyone and is never available for the media and just flat out never here. That's obviously a, a huge difference and uh, it's something that people notice. Chris Illich literally pops out he, like... The, the, that's the first time I had seen Chris Illich in probably a calendar year was during the AJ Hinch press conference. I'm pretty sure that's true. Honestly, I can't even remember. I literally can't recall the last time I saw him pre AJ Hinch interview. Okay. I'm not just going to have dead air while I think about the answer to that question. I genuinely don't know. Um, but that that's frustrating. That's frustrating because from a fan's perspective, uh, especially when you're not spending money on top of that, it shows lack of giving a damn. Shows lack lack of involvement and lack of providing resources when you're literally the freaking owner. Um it is frustrating as a fan because it implies not giving a damn. So her being hands-on and being part of the committee and sitting in the room with with Spielman and Barry and 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 the Woodward and stuff, you know what I mean? Like sitting in with those people and being in there for the interview process and stuff. Whether you agree with her judgment or not, um, it's at least refreshing, and it at least shows that even if she's making the the wrong decision, she's not making the wrong decision out of out of um, out of lack of caring. At least she gives a damn, which is something. Uh, so I, I really respect and appreciate her. And I don't say this about owners in any sport, really. Uh, I'm pretty, pretty outside of Mike Illich. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I wouldn't say anti-owner, but I don't side with the owners very often on much of anything uh, in any sport. So this is, you know, maybe a first and last time I say this, but like, I, I do respect at least her involvement from just a pure, it looks like she gives a shit and that's refreshing because that's something that really none of the, old, the other teams are showing. Chris Illich, 
is never available. We never see him talk. We never see him do anything. And he's not giving either of the teams any money to spend. Looks like he doesn't give two Fs about the Wings or the Tigers currently. And Lord knows that what's his nuts in, in, uh, well, I can't say in Ann Arbor anymore. Or not Ann Arbor. Gee whiz. Auburn Hills. Can't even say that anymore. Uh, Tom Gores. Lord knows that dude's issues. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a nice change of pace. It's at least, it's, it's at least nice. And I, and Chris said a lot of these points. I'm really just, um, not paraphrasing, but uh, I'm really just reiterating a lot of points that he said. It's nice to see ownership, um, be that involved because it at least shows the care. And, and especially if she kind of just wanted to be in the room and kind of let the experts make the decision at the end of the day, that even more. So shout out, shout out to her. That's a, that's I, I've disagreed with a lot that all four of the, all three of these owners have done. Um, but that's one that I at least give her somewhat amount of credit for the other comment. The bigger comment probably is that the Detroit Lions will quote-unquote be building from the outside in. Uh, This was a Spielman comment. Uh, What does this mean? Well, we'll start with he reiterated the fact that um, this by no means implies that we are not going to try to build strongly through the draft and develop our own people and stuff. But he did bring up the fact that basically he said all good teams start with good drafts, all of them. Every single team, any successful team ever has started with a core foundation of young players that you draft and develop. And then when those people reach their ceilings, then you go from the outside and you bring people in. Uh, that's absolutely correct. That is, um, that is what should that people have been telling me for years that that's what the Tigers are going to do and why I should just be patient. Okay. And it's a lot different in a non-salary cab sport. That's a whole other argument. I completely dis whatever, but they at least have a plan. They're executing that plan. Everybody seems on board and believing in that plan. Um, And if that's how they want to go about it, more power to them. Look, the previous regime was, man, I almost just dropped an F-bomb there. That was really hard not to. Like really, really, really hard not to, honestly. That might have been my biggest attempt of not cussing I've made in a very long time. You have to be... Gosh, that, whew, I, I just want to give myself a pat on the back, man. That, I could literally feel it coming out of my mouth. It was like, it was like, it was like in, right there. It was right there. I could feel it. I could literally feel it about to, about to just spew out. Um. So if that's what you want to do, absolutely. It's the correct mindset. Sure, absolutely. All good teams ever start with that and then to go get in. The previous regime, again, not going to swear, the previous regime uh, was 
horrible at drafting. Horrible. Terrible. Garbage. Bleh, bleh, bleh. Bleh. Terrible at drafting. So, I'm so impressed with myself there. So, so, they had to compensate by going out and bringing in all these, uh, overpaying, honestly, for average players because they had no organizational depth. They had no, like, oh, we you know we drafted this guy. He, he's ready to, to step up. No, nope, didn't have that because we were absolute trash at drafting. And now we're, we're a four-win team, five-win team, rather, that is in a full rebuild and yet is over the salary cap. That only happens when you have a bunch of terrible contracts. That shouldn't be a thing. You should not be one of the worst teams in the NFL and be like $10 million or $8, $8 million over the salary cap like we are. And yes, I know Goff's contract is horrible, whatever. Matt got paid too, bro. There is no excuse to be that much over the cap when you are this bad. There's some really bad contracts on that defense, bro. There's some brutal contracts on the defense. Um, So, we talked about it last episode. Expect some people to get cut before free agency. Uh, because we obviously need to be under the salary cap. So, expect some people to get cut. Um, especially some of those eh, not-too-great contracts. We talked about it last time. You can go back and, and look at the previous episode we talked about. Um, then the... What was my other point? Oh, so this regime at least... This comment scared some people on Twitter. People were like, oh my gosh, it's the, it's Bob Quinn 2.0. He's just going to only sign people and we're going to be horrible at drafting. He did acknowledge. And look, our GM is used to be a, a the college director of scouting. Like, like, if you don't think that this organization is, is trying to be much better at drafting, then I don't know what to tell you because clearly they are attempting to with the assistant GMs brought in as well as, as just Holmes in general. Um, so I, I think I don't, I don't want people to freak out. I think it's just the mindset of you draft. Well, you get home growth talent, and then you bring in those people from the outside kind of thing when you're ready, uh, which this organization, the previous regime did not do previous regime did. Well, we are terrible at drafting. So we're just going to sign, 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 sign. And now we're left with overpaid average players because of it. That's what happens. So uh, I think he was more, honestly, just trying to bring home the point of like, hey, don't expect us to go out there and spend a billion dollars this offseason. We're going to wait until the kids we draft this year and maybe even next year develop a little bit. Uh, I think it was more of that than it was like, hey, we're just only going to sign people. You know what I mean? So I I don't want people to freak out. I think that was just kind of a, a small clip of a big quote that I actually agree with, but uh, I just don't want people to freak out because of that that quote. And yeah, that you know, drafts coming up, free agency's coming up sooner. Be a, a fun little fun little time of the time of the off season for the Lions. And I think that'll do it. 
for the Detroit Football Lions, which means that'll do it for our show. Thank you so much for listening yet again. Uh, the people that, like I said, I, I, I'm people are reaching out, asking me to be guests on their shows, and obviously locked on, you know, co-hosts and stuff. This this has uh, been amazing. Starting this has been an, an amazing thing for me, and uh, I think that it is opening a lot of doors for me that I maybe not have had. Uh, being able to showcase myself. You know, for lack of a better term. So thank you so much for listening and for your support. It means the world. Check out Locked On Red Wings. You can hear myself, Ethan, and Nolan. Uh, great little little trio we got going on over there. Um, and then also, who else did I talk about? I feel like I talked about a different podcast as well. I don't remember. But uh, also check out the Back Judge podcast. Because those those guys are great. Um, I don't think I talked about them this podcast, but that just popped in my head. Great people, great podcast, the Back Judge podcast, NFL only. It's sick. They actually do some hockey talk sometimes too, but for the most part, it's all football. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, man, I swear I talked about someone else. Oh, it's gonna piss me off if I don't give somebody credit and I talked about them. Oh, Diamond Digest. Whoo, that was a close one. Literally my website I work for. Shout out to Diamond Digest. <laughs> Great people. That's an only baseball one. Uh, I write for them. I do podcasts for them. Great group of people. Great little family atmosphere they got going up there. And, and that we're growing. We're growing over there too. So check out all three of those. Keep listening to me because I'm also dope. And thank you so much for listening. Like I said, it, it truly on a serious note means the world. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. And that's all I got, baby. Go to Detroit Sports. Peace.